Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are deep into Buffett and Munger and all good things about serious, I guess what we could call value investing. We call it rule one investing in my world. Mm-hmm. But it's basically investing. That's really, it's really <laughs> investing, indeed. which means. Indeed. And they actually talked about that a bit. Go ahead. It just Well, it just means you're buying something that you understand the value of and ideally you're getting it for less than the value and you have a high degree of certainty that you'll benefit from this financially over the long run and that's it it's investing and everything else is some kind of speculation form of gambling it's not not that there's anything in, in intrinsically wrong with gambling but you should know you're doing it versus you know being told mm. you're actually investing you know yeah. So these guys, uh, Buffett and Munger just had their annual meeting, which was a well-attended event. I think, what did we hear, 40,000 people? I think it was up? a lot less this year, actually. Was it more like 20,000 or something? I heard from some people who were there, and they said um, it, there were nowhere near, maybe even none, of the Chinese who typically come. Because right. China's is a in group. a lot of lockdowns. And um, and that's a huge difference. So they said it was actually a lot easier this year to get a decent seat. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Because people wait for hours to get in there. And, and um, we didn't get to go because I'm stuck in a, a clinic trying to get well from long COVID. And you were busy at the, the horse event. Uh, yeah, they put it right on top of an annual horse event that we are committed to every year. Well, so we since you mentioned it last time, Dad... How did it go? Tell us all. <laughs> what? The horse event? How did Rolex go? Oh, this is the, the uh, what used to be called the Rolex five, uh, four star three day event, which is a huge challenge for horses and riders across three days where they do dressage and then they go cross country for five miles across huge obstacles. And, and uh, the survivors then go to the arena on the third day and and do show jumping over poles with exhausted horses. And it's just a triathlon for athletes, equestrian athletes and horses. And it went, it went and you really, were, really you were well spectating, show. not riding. We were spectating, right? We were expecting to have one or two horses near that level next year. Ooh, cool. We're bringing them along with Sarah Beth Anton, who will be riding them. And, um, it was it was amazing. They the course designer built one jump, jump eleven on the uh, four star course. That that where a, at least seventy percent of the riders failed. Oh gosh! To make it through, it was it was you had to do it perfectly, or you you couldn't do it. And it wow. was 
amazing. We stayed there the entire time and watched it. We were there with Lucinda Green and uh, Tom and Carolyn Kadir. Lucinda is um, in the Hall of Fame for three-day eventing, uh, a silver medalist in the Olympics. She's the world champion uh, rider. She's two-time European champion rider. She's just simply one of the best who's ever ridden. And one of the first women that really broke through the sport. And she was just extremely successful and paved the way, you know, smashed the glass ceiling and paved the way for women to, if not dominate the sport, certainly dominate their share of it uh, all these years later. And we were in Africa with Lucinda for uh, riding across the Masai Mara for two weeks at one point years ago. And we've always stayed friends. So it was great seeing her. She's amazing. And um, anyway, kind of like old home week, right? I mean, you come and you (laughs) see people you haven't seen. Kind of like Berkshire, actually. That's A lot like Berkshire, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So let's get to uh, Berkshire. Let's go to Berkshire. So we didn't, couldn't, we couldn't do both at the same time. But uh, to all my friends out at Berkshire, we're sorry we missed you and really, really always miss being there. Um, It was from what I've seen, we've watched the um, the video, and and uh, it's it was it was Buffett and Charlie. Who, they're they're so deep in what they say and mm-hmm. what they do. It's like you really can't take a a, a, a an outline of it and get it. You can't yeah. take the four minutes that they put up there on a YouTube video and say, "Oh yeah, okay, I got it. I I made." Because really, it's like being at the knee of a grandfather and they're talking about life and there's some stuff you already know that they've already taught you. And then there's the stuff that just, you go, what? It's like, you didn't, you've heard it, but you didn't hear it, hear it. And Warren actually talked about that at the meeting. He said, he showed a, a Rorschach uh, sort of thing where one view of this thing is two people facing each other, talking or looking at each other. And another view is you're looking at an urn. You've seen those things, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and depending on how your brain is working that day, you, some people never see the urn. They can only see the two people talking. And it goes on for years. Then all of a sudden, click, the brain just clicks, and there's the urn, right? Right. And, he's, and that's very much like what being at these meetings are, are about to me. Is you know, I've been studying this stuff literally religiously okay like like some people study the bible religiously i study buffett and munger religiously mm-hmm. for 40 years now <laughs> and maybe because i have there's these revelations that pop out that other people have already had yeah, heard that a million years ago and knew it already but it never got through to me i was always seeing the the, the two faces looking at each other and all of a sudden there's the urn um and I, I don't know, you know, just it was so, so wonderful just to hear them. And for both of them to still be there, Charlie at 97, Warren at 91, um, both of them sharp as ever. I mean, it's just, you just go, wow. I mean, there may be, it's like they're, they're losing a step, right? They're not, they're not the sort of athletes that they were 30 years ago. They're losing a step, but that just sort of goes with the, the progress of, of age and so on. They're smart, just as, just as sharp as ever. And it was wonderful to hear them. I think they are. I mean, I was, uh, I watched a little bit on the day, but um, 
because of the way CNBC was broadcasting it online, I ended up waiting to, to really watch it after it was all done. But I was watching it a little bit while it was happening and sort of coming in and out. And, um, and a friend of mine who was there in the room was texting me while she was there. Sharon. Hi, Sharon. And, and, um, and she said, uh, Charlie's like just as sharp with the zingers as he ever has been. <laughs> and I was like, man, you know, these two, because as everybody listening now for the last year and a half has known, I've had so many brain cognitive issues after COVID. And I just was like thinking about them and how sharp they are. And like, what do, what what can I learn from them? Not just about investing. How can I like emulate their incredible brain plasticity, so that as I get better from this thing, which I am, um, I end up as strong as they are at ninety six, at a hundred, at a hundred and five, um, which I certainly hope they live to reach the triple digits. <laughs> Me too. And, uh, and I don't know what they do. They have never really talked about it that much. And so Sharon and I were like debating what they what they might do. And she thought, you know what? They probably don't do much in particular. What they do is they live their lives. They talk to fascinating people who are extremely informed. They read about really deep, mm -hmm. difficult subjects, not having anything to do with investing a lot of the time. The books that they recommend every year are often about completely non-financial, non-economic subjects. And they're just continuously intellectually exercising their brain. Yeah. And it's working. It's amazing. Yeah. It's we, such it's, an inspiration to me to see them. Take a lesson because, I mean, I think Warren continues to try to read like 500 pages a uh, a, a week and uh, you he know, probably does not reach, I have no if doubt he's not reaching that number every week it's, it's an aspiration and it, man look at how, how it keeps your brain working it's amazing I was watching him at one point he was talking about Bitcoin right and um, I mean not, not, not to take us on a different track here but, but it was fascinating because he was saying you know if I if I was offered one percent of all the farmland in America, right, one percent of the farmland in America, and you could see him calculating, <laughs> <laughs> he just he starts into let me let me just put his Bitcoin in perspective here. Okay, that's the first step. Second step is let me give you something I would buy, right? Uh, and let me okay. So I'm just stating I'll go one percent of the farmland in America. And then, oh yeah, what would that be worth? Yep, <laughs> he's calculating. Calculating. He came in. He came in with it at um, God, right at about. I would say he's off, like a rounding error. Oh really? Like you yeah. looked it up afterwards? Yeah, I looked it up afterwards. <laughs> Insane. He was calculating acreage, price, <laughs> just like, oh my gosh. So he said, he said, 1% of all the farmland in America, he said, and he, he big pause while he calculated it. And he said, I, 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 I would, I would pay 25 billion. I'd pay 25 billion for that. Okay. So I looked it up. 2.7 trillion. 
<laughs> the valuable part of Latin America. One percent, twenty-seven billion. Which he probably knew, but he's going to go under it a little bit. <laughs> I'd offer slightly less. You got to get it on sale. <laughs> that was so great, but but it was so funny because it was like, hey, you know, you said I'd write a check this afternoon if somebody would give it to me. He said, and it produces something very important. It produces food. And he said, and if I, if somebody said, let's say, would you, what would you do with, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd pay 1% for all the apartments in the United States. And I don't know if he calculated this one, but he said, I'd pay 25 billion for that. Somebody would offer it. I'd do it right now. I'd write you a check because it, the, the apartments produce housing. It's a need for people. So you got food, which is people's need. You got housing, people's need. They produce something. <laughs> he said, if you offered me all the Bitcoin right now for $25, I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> I wouldn't buy all the Bitcoin in the world for $25. <laughs> That's such an interesting one to me because there's so many really intelligent people who strongly disagree with him. Oh, yeah, about I know. cryptocurrency and yet they are so strong in it they have not been swayed it no. doesn't matter how many people they respect have started to include bitcoin in their businesses etc well, yeah and they but just still buffett, rag on it like it's not even worth well, 20 you remember bucks. buffett turned it slightly then he, he said it's like he kind of was laughing to himself as an aside for why he wouldn't spend $25 on all the Bitcoin in the world. He said, because, he said, because people know me, I have a reputation. I mean, he said he explained why he didn't want to own it. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't produce anything. Yeah. Right? But then he said, I can't even spend $25 on it because if I tried to sell it, he realized he has a reputation, right? If Buffett's selling something, nobody wants it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, nobody's going to buy it from me. There would, he says, I'm selling, nobody wants to buy. It's like, he says, I wouldn't be able to get rid of it. So, uh, yeah, just, and, and so I thought that was fabulous about how He's sharp so he is. And, yeah. yeah. You know, he um, said, he said it, like comparing Bitcoin to other things that don't have what we would call intrinsic value. That is that, that they produce something that people need or want that they would then spend money on and then which then produces a certain value, right? In terms of you'd exchange dollars now for dollars in the future by mm -hmm. owning this asset that will produce those dollars in the future. Mm -hmm. And that's really kind of how we define an investment. You're exchanging current dollars for dollars you're going to get in the future from this investment. And you don't want it to be speculative that, okay, it's Picasso. I think I'm going to get more for it in the future because it's always gotten more expensive in the in the past, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an investment which has intrinsic value that is producing cash flow that you can put a judgment on. And if your judgment is right um, and you pay an appropriate amount for it today, then that will produce uh, effective wealth for you in the future in excess of, let's say, just inflation or whatever is going on out there. I think that's pretty pretty major. Uh, that he wouldn't go with that because he just doesn't like speculation. And, we, and he got around to talking about a little bit about a Picasso or something, you know, a great painting that has held its value for hundreds of years. And 
will probably hold its value for another 500 years, and that might be okay. He actually alluded. It's the first time I've ever heard him say that he might be willing to buy something that totally. doesn't actual <laughs> intrinsic value. <laughs> it he said, might maybe, be okay. It might be okay. He said maybe the pyramid or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> something that's proven itself. Something that's there. It exists. The people seem to like. Yeah, people want to come and see it. <laughs> he was would that, buy it. He would do that. Was that when he put up the the dollar bill, or it was like a twenty dollar bill? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. They're it was that about time, yeah, because that yeah. I thought that was really cool. Where he put up a what we would know now as the twenty dollar bill, the way it looks now, and then he put and it said. Um, Oh, I'm going to forget the words exactly. I should pull out a $20 bill. But basically, this is exchangeable and payable for all debts by um, order of the U.S. Treasury. Yeah. And then... Here's um, a $20 bill. Okay. Here we go. And then... Okay. Tell us. Okay. It says, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. And he's making a very, very mm. important point about Bitcoin. Yes. Number one point being, it doesn't, it doesn't give you anything. A pyramid, at least you own something, or a Picasso. You don't own anything with Bitcoin. And it is not legal tender. Right. So he was mm -hmm. saying, you can't necessarily pay off your debts with anything right. except this legal tender. But then what was really cool is he put up a picture of a $20 bill from, um, oh gosh, I wish I had written down the year, but let's say like 18 something. Mm -hmm. And it was from not the U.S. Treasury. It wasn't signed by the U.S. Treasury. It was signed by um, a bank that was in Nebraska. Or was it Illinois? I wish I wrote down these details. Sorry, guys. I'm all over the place on this one. I think it was like the Bank of Rockford, if I remember right. And it had been signed by somebody at that bank, not from the U.S. Treasury, the way we would see money now. And I had never, I never knew that there was money like that, that was issued by an individual private bank. I had no idea. And he said when Berkshire bought this bank, they had sheets of, uh, of bills of, of legal tender money that hadn't ever been issued. And so he kept this one. He said, I have this one in my personal possession. And it was real money. It was legal tender that you could hand out and use and pay off your taxes with if you had it. Mm -hmm. So he was making the point that there used to be other places where you could, um, or other issuers of legal tender money, but it was always backed up by the U.S. Treasury. And I just thought that was really cool. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and and it was backed up by gold. All of these well, banks he didn't had make that to. Point, but yeah, <laughs> no, you could walk in with your paper to the issuing bank, and they would give you gold. Um, you could walk in with your paper to another bank, 
that was willing to take the bank, your bank's paper, and give you gold. Mm -hmm. And then they would send it down in a box and get the gold back from your bank. And so, you know, U.S. currency, when they ultimately started issuing it, when they made the Federal Reserve Bank in the early 1900s and began issuing currency, it was redeemable in gold, Mm -hmm. just as all of these bank currencies had been redeemable in gold. And um, that began to create the first wave of real destruction of the value of the U.S. dollar. It's fascinating. You get all these issuers, these private banks, which could fail and not have enough gold to cover all the banknotes that they printed. Right. But it would be the failure would be restricted to that bank. When the U.S. government does it, then the failure is endemic and it goes out across the entire society and probably out across the entire world. And so, of course, the promise of the Federal Reserve Bank was they just wouldn't do that. They wouldn't be so criminal as to issue more banknotes than they had gold to cover. They would never do <laughs> yes. that. None of this was said by Buffett. but No, but yes. this is behind That's it all. idea back in the day. Uh-huh. Of the, and that he, he did exactly. say, though... You know, what would happen if there was a line of people standing outside the bank trying to get their money out is the banker would hand out the money he had as slowly as he possibly could in hopes that the stagecoach would pull up and have a bunch of gold or a bunch of dollars in it (laughs) that he could use to pay people off or convince them that now the bank was solvent and they should leave their money. (laughs) But what really, I think what really got me about that was... Not just the point about the money and the Bitcoin and who's behind it, blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, that's the point. But I think what what struck me from an investing practice perspective is how amazing is that? That his life of investing has such history in it. Like, this is in many ways the life of the U.S., the life of a country growing from being a small nothing country to now... Well, we used to be the leader of the free world. I don't know if we still are, but let's say we've done well. And he's somebody who, simply through buying a private company, this bank, has been part of financial history in such a special way. And I think multiple times in this session, both he and Charlie talked a lot about connecting what you buy as an investor to it being real. It's not imaginary. Stock isn't imaginary. What you buy isn't imaginary. Owning that bank and the money that they issued isn't imaginary. And it's not a game and it's not gambling. And I think over and over they were trying to tell us And they kept connecting it to farms and they kept on saying like, you know, buying and selling 10 times a day in the stock market isn't investing. And I think what they were trying to say is this game that so many of us have gotten excited about, which I don't think, by the way, is like entirely bad, but so many of us have gotten excited about um, needs to be connected to reality. It needs to be connected to the underlying asset that you're purchasing or else it, it really is just a game and it doesn't mean anything. And I, I, I really take that point because they said it over and over 
And I really, mm-hmm. um, not that I don't think that like that, I mean, that's what, that's what we talk about here so much. So I don't think it's something that is necessarily out of our minds, but it's always good to have that reminder. This stuff is real. It's about real assets. It's about real people. It's real money. Yeah. And, uh, and what we choose to buy with our money really has an impact and makes a difference. Yeah. Hugely important. I was just thinking as you were talking about, um, uh, I think it was Amato Giannini. Uh, I can't remember his first name. The founder of what ultimately became the Bank of America. It was Bank of Italy in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. That's a great story. Gosh. <clears throat> where he, I mean, this is talking about where it's real, right? San Francisco has an earthquake and burns. Mm. All right. And as the, bil- as the buildings are burning, Giannini calls in a wagon and loads up, uh, I think, like $80,000 worth of gold. Back, This is 1906, when $20 would buy one ounce of gold. So imagine this is 4,000 ounces of gold in today's value. Mm. That's like $8 million of, of gold moving in a wagon where <laughs> looters are everywhere. Yeah, They covered it all up with oranges, orange crates. And for he said for weeks later, all the gold smelled like oranges. <laughs> and <laughs> and he he got it moved away to a, a safer place. And then while the buildings were still smoldering and every other banker was running for the hills, Giannini took sacks of gold and and uh put him on a went out on a wharf in San Francisco at Fisherman's Wharf, mm. went out there on the wharf set up a table, put a sack of gold, and put up a hand-painted sign that said, Bank of Italy open for business. <laughs> and was ready to lend money to people to get their lives back together. And he said, look, you go find half of the money you want to borrow, bring that here, and I'll lend you the other half. No collateral, just on character. And Insane. he- Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And he he- he got the city moving again immediately. People could start construction. They could buy, which they couldn't do before. And and requiring people to get half the money from other people enlisted the help of all of their relatives and their friends mm. to not back away, to join mm. back in and and have have a stake. And it's that's that's an just something about real money, right? I mean, that's real money yeah. that this guy had put on the table and was was willing to to risk and. So I think, you know, Buffett talking about how the U.S. government has like $2.3 trillion of paper out there. That's real money. Along with, I mean, another $20 trillion or so of digital money. And I think the digital money question came up at some point. You know, it's like, or no, that maybe that came up at Charlie's, Charlie's annual meeting. I was just thinking he was asked about digital currency versus crypto. Right. Oh, the Federal Reserve is doing digital currency now or they're talking about it. And it isn't that in a, a government taking over cryptocurrency and pointed out that, no, we already have digital currency. It's your it's your look online at your checking account. That's yeah. digital. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Venmo, digital, PayPal, digital. Right. We're well down the road of digital and the federal government coming up with a way to issue dollars digitally is no big deal. Right. The, the question is more how, how much are they going to issue? And um, yeah, so I, I thought all that was phenomenal and really interesting about the understanding of real, real, 
real assets, real intrinsic value. What does that mean? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, yeah, both those guys are, are pretty strong against Bitcoin. I, and I, I started to get one of the reasons from Charlie, another talk that Charlie gave at his annual meeting. Because, I mean, basically, he called it a turd sandwich here. <laughs> I mean, straight up. He basically did. He said, he said people trading Bitcoin is like, and when Warren turned to him and, and said, what do you have to say about this, Charlie? And he said, oh, to me, it's like, you know, a lot of people are trading turds. And so you feel you just got to get involved in turd trading. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. So I was curious to understand. I always wanted to understand why is that such turd trading, you know, compared to other stuff. Yeah. And people have traded all kinds of things, right? Why is this thing such a thing? And I think the reason is what Charlie said another time, and that is that it is going against the the quality of being a good citizen. Hmm. That is, as a remember who these guys are, right? They lived through the Depression and World War II. Yeah. And they came out of that with an understanding that America was an amazing place, that you, you really should be proud to be an American citizen and you should be proud of a government that supports the people and is a good government, having seen the disasters of government around the world and what that can do, right, of China under Mao starving 40 or 60 million Chinese and under Stalin literally shooting like 20 million Russians and under Hitler slaughtering, you know, all these minorities that he didn't like. And I mean, they have a government that doesn't do that and that is supportive. They, they felt such a, a drive to be a good citizen. And being a good citizen means that you don't put your money into things that are revolution, that are counter to the government. Like you don't put your money into something that supports people being criminals and and uh, yeah, operating maybe more counter out apart to the society, from the not counter so much to society. The yeah, 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 to society. Well said. And that and for that reason, he holds crypto responsible for being a a a pipeline for for criminality to allow people to operate outside the U.S. government. Oh yeah, and, he did talk about that at uh, the Daily Journal meeting. Yeah. Yep. And you start to think about it. Well. Really, what is he saying? Is what he's saying is the real reason a lot of people like cryptocurrency is because they think the government is going to fail. That the government currency, the dollar, will fail. That it is going to be diluted into nothingness, and that cryptocurrency can't be diluted because the government can't build more of it. Like they, right? So here's Charlie and Warren from generations that believed in government and still do, facing generations, literally just a generation later, my generation and the generations that followed, dealing with a government that we see so differently than those guys saw a government. Yeah. We see a government that lied and keeps lying. We see a government that is devaluing its currency over and over and over again. We see a government that doesn't hold to fiscal you know, conservatism that doesn't balance budgets, that lies about the thing constantly. This is this is like a lot of, and I started to think, gosh, these guys are living in the same world I'm living in. Why don't they see that side of things? And I realized that their view of this shaped in the 30s and the 40s by a government that's really trying to help people and be a good government, and in the 50s and 60s probably, colors their view of the government today, just as mine does, because I saw the government that put me in a war, killed people I know, 
for nothing and, and killed millions of people who didn't do anything other than try to have their own country the way they wanted it. And it's like that heinous government colors my view of government to this mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. And maybe what I should do is just be a little less cynical about the government here, that maybe the government of the United States is providing incredible benefits to its citizens and is in, in, in large view really good. I guess is kind of what I got from that. Because I think they think that, right? That the, the the overall view of the U.S. government is a really a good thing for the world and we should support it and not support some alternative currency that undercuts the currency of the U.S. government. And then finally they went on, ultimately, or either Charlie did back in his meeting or these guys, I can't remember, of saying, and by the way, when crypto gets to a point where it does challenge the currency of the United States, they will shut it down. As China already I, I was has. just about to say, as China and, has. And which Charlie says, and they yeah. should have, and we should as well. Yeah. Right? So they, there's kind of how they wrapped it up. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that's an interesting perspective. I don't know how much they're focused on the government exactly, but I do see them... The society is... Very focused on society, yeah, yeah. yeah, and being a good citizen, I yeah. think that's very much that, uh, you know, greatest generation, generation, yeah. being a good citizen, doing well by your neighbor, raising your kids, you know, whether they succeeded or not, that's another story. But I think that that's the, uh, the sort of ethos that those people grew up with and yep. having, yeah, this extra governmental, potentially dangerous, um, let's call it a currency for now or i think i don't think that they really see it as a currency they see it as a sort of imaginary computer trading system yeah yeah um with a magic word attached to it yeah right? magic word yeah <laughs> and uh and i see why that's it just doesn't make sense to them it's just not from it's their just perspective. not uh, it just doesn't quite compute as being useful or good or um and, and, or valuable. and if you add to that if you add to that warren's view that he expressed that effectively investing is so simple you you had to do a you just do a couple things right and one of those things that you do right is you believe in america yeah, he said something. I gotta find where he. I wrote something down what that? when he when he talked quote? about that, and it was really, really interesting. It was interesting. It was basically talking <laughs> We're about both like it was so interesting, but we can't remember what it was. No, I, I wanted to get my <laughs> my notes out here. Um, yeah, but, but what that? you just said really jogged my memory. Yeah, here it is. He, he, He's basically saying, talking about timing the market. All he said, we've never timed the yeah. market. Yeah. We don't have any insights into the future of the economy. You know, basically, he said, I bought my first stocks when the Dow was at 90, and now it's at 34,000, and that's the whole story. And what that means is one decision, own American businesses. That was it. Better to be in American businesses than to be in bonds. He said, and that's simple it's just a simple game and, and everybody's gone out and made it hard. <laughs> They've just gone out and made it hard. Yeah. And what I wrote down particularly and underlined for myself is the question was about market timing. And the questioner basically said, it appears that you have amazing timing and yet you always say you don't time the market. And he said, we have never once made a decision right 
based on what the market's going to do. And this is the part I underlined. We have never made a decision based on what the economy is going to do. Right. Ever. Which all we, I mean, we talk about that a lot we on do, here. We do. All you hear about on the financial channels is like, oh, the economy, what's, the what's economy happening? What's the future? What's the prediction? Da, da, da. Here's 17 yeah. different people with predictions. Uh, we, look, we got to get into this, but we, I think we should take it up in the next podcast because there's a lot to say about this, a lot <laughs> in, involving a really good uh, story about American Express. And, and yeah. right, let's, what do you say we put it off? Okay, and, we'll talk and about pick that. Pick it up one next right time. there next time. And there was, the, it's amazing how much real meat and potato stuff is in there sitting here watching these guys. Yeah. Say, I'll just, say basically stuff they've been saying now for, for 60 years. Yeah, I'll just, I'll say like for everybody who hasn't watched it yet or who wasn't there, right before we started recording this, we were both saying like, oh, we, um, kind of thought like, oh, we'll like skip around and watch it and kind of stop and start and whatever. And then we yeah. both realized, oh yeah. yeah, you can't do that with these guys. <laughs> like you have to watch every minute and every word because they just throw those gold, those golden nuggets in there on a yeah. question completely about something else and you think it's yep. going to be boring. And then <laughs> you got to be yep. watching because the gold shows up. Yeah, so go go take go take the six hours and watch. It's worth it, and and you'll get a lot out of it. Just like we say, feel go free to read break it up. By letters. the way, I have to break it up. You don't have yeah, to watch it all at once. Don't have to be all at once. Don't have to be right now. But uh, we'll be back to you with more of what we think are the real nuggets here next week. Okay. Until thanks, then, everybody. Time to go play. Bye. See ya. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.